We're going to look at uh, Acts 9 to 11. Um, so if you've got a Bible or you can uh, find it on your uh, tablet or your phone, then, uh, then maybe just get to that because we'll come to that in a moment. I wonder if we can just put the, the slides up. What I want to talk about this morning are the changes that start new stories. And um, in a sense, it's uh, not um, been influenced by the conversations that we've had with uh, Arthur and Marlene. Uh, is just kind of where we're up to in the text, but it's really pertinent to them. But actually, I think it's pertinent to a lot of other folks. Um, last week, when we were worshipping together, um, had that sense that uh, God was saying, you know, for some people it felt like you were in the middle of the wilderness and you wondered what God was doing and whether God was starting something new or whether it was, uh, what, was what was actually happening. And a number of people got back to me about that. And I kind of want to reflect on How do we make sense of what happens in our lives? How do we make sense of the changes that uh, happen? I came across a great quote, and uh, this is that quote. There are two great days in a person's life, the day we're born and the day that we discover why. It's a great quote by William Barclay, who um, was a New Testament scholar uh, way back in the 1960s. But two great days in a person's life, the day you're born, the day you discover why. And it's one of those sort of quotes that if you, you, I found it on, you know, on the internet and it does the rounds and it sounds really good. But the question I was left wondering was, what's the day you discover why? <laughs> and uh, this is not necessarily of massive comfort to those of you that are younger, but it could be of encouragement to those of you that are older. I think the day you discover why is actually much later in life than you imagine. I think actually for most of us, most of us spend most of our lives wondering why, what, you know, what's my part here? But actually there are moments in life when the loose ends come together. One of the things that encouraged me about Arthur and Marlene's story was the 50-year gap between something beginning and ending painfully And a moment 50 years later where there's an opportunity to tie some loose ends together. And it's like a grace gift. And I I, I don't know, I mean, we you know, we we can't do it, but if we ask one another, do you have things like that in your own life? The stuff that's loose, the stuff that's unfinished, the relationships that aren't quite right, the situations where you wonder, what was that about? And you carry them, and there's a sense in which you live through them and you think. Maybe I'll never know. And you have to live like that because otherwise it'll send you crazy. But you kind of just go, well, maybe I'll never know. But then sometimes, just sometimes, there are moments when there's a grace gift and God goes, do you know what? This is an opportunity where all those loose ends can be tied up. And you walk towards glory and eternity going, do you know what, Lord? I understand a little bit more than I did. When I was 20, didn't understand why things ended like that. And maybe when I was 40, I just grieved it. But now, 50 years on, Arthur's going to be 70 next year. Next month. It's coming closer with every sentence. (laughs) (laughs) 70 years old, next phase, but actually just possibly, just possibly, Knowing this is why, this is why I'm here. This is what I'm about. 
And as such, I think it's a good, a good phrase. But the reality for most of us is this. The normal life is just very normal. It's the challenge of working your commitments out. It's accepting normality. It's accepting the boring days, navigating stress, living day by day, just needing grace to get through. And actually, the core thing you need for the everyday is wisdom. It's not, you know, there's some forms um, of Christianity that suggest that actually what you need is every morning a sign from God to do something. And actually, I'm not convinced that's actually how most of us either need to live with God or indeed how God does actually deal with us. I think most of us, do you know the biggest prayer you need most mornings is, oh God, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom for the ordinary day. Give me wisdom for the commitments I've made. Give me wisdom for the stress that I will face. Give me wisdom for the situation I'm in. That's the normal prayer. And that's the normal life. And you know as well as I do that just because you face stress doesn't mean to say you're in the wrong place. It's just life. The reason that you're in a boring place and you think, oh God, is there not more than this? Truth is, there may well be more than this. It's just not for you. (laughs) You don't get that on a fridge magnet. (laughs) There's more to life, but not for you. (laughs) Coming to a greetings card near you. Because the alternative is you'll just live a life that is discontent. For most of us, normal life is a long obedience in the same direction. It's just living the life that goes, okay, Lord, this is where I am. This is what you've given me. This is what I'm involved with. And Lord, at this stage of my life, I need wisdom. I need wisdom because my kids are all under the age of seven. (laughs) I need wisdom. I need wisdom because my family is spread out and I can't influence them as I would wish. I need wisdom. I need wisdom to know how to deal with this job at this time with this stress. I need wisdom to deal with my situation as it is. Lord, will you give me wisdom? And the brilliant promise in James is if you lack wisdom and you ask for it, God will give it you. And I think that actually as you mature as a follower of Jesus, the promise is you will grow in wisdom. You will make good decisions. You will deal with situations well. You will know how to navigate the ordinary stuff of life better. More resilient, better, wiser. If you lack it, ask. But then there are days and there are times when everything's thrown into the air. It's like on the train tracks. Suddenly something comes and it disrupts and there's new directions. Things end and things begin. Something unexpected happens. And everything changes. I kind of want to just keep on emphasizing, though, that this is the abnormal, not the normal. But it happens to all of us. There's something happens that everything changes. And mostly, it's not of our own choosing. I think sometimes when you choose, you know, should I get a new job? Should I move house? What should we do next? Actually, for most of us, what we need for those sort of decisions is wisdom. But sometimes things happen to us that happen from outside of ourselves. And it's knowing how do you deal with those moments. 
in, um, in the book of Acts, um, Luke is interesting as a writer because what he does is from time to time, he'll cover a long period of time in very few sort of sentences. But he'll give you a picture of what's going on. But then every now and again, what he does is he'll tell a long story. And he'll he'll tell it more than once. He'll repeat the story. And as a reader, you're supposed to do what you kind of would do as a reader. Go, I think this matters to Luke. I think this matters to Luke. And what we're going to do in a moment is we're going to read portions of 9 and 11. Because actually, that's what's going on here. There are two big stories that we're going to be told here. There's a story about Paul and there's a story about Peter. And it's a, a, a stories about when something changes. And what I want to do when we reflect on it briefly is to say, how do you recognize those times? How do you respond to them? And what's God doing? How do you recognize them? How do you respond to them? And what's God doing? So if you have a Bible, let's turn um, for the first one to a- Acts chapter 9 and the first part. Of that chapter. So this is a link um, because it begins with meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. This is a link to chapter 8, where Paul, or Saul as he was known at the time, was um, at Stephen's martyrdom. When they're throwing bricks and rocks at Stephen, essentially just kill him in the street. Saul is witnessing this. And he is saying to himself, actually, that's the right thing to do with these people because these people are the outsiders and we've got to get rid of them. We've got to get, make a statement. We've got to stop for people following this Jesus. Meanwhile, he's still doing all of those things. And he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see He could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and didn't eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord. Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up, was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. It's that classic Damascus Road experience, that moment where actually this man, 
meets with Jesus and everything changes for him. It's a story that's so important to Paul and it's so important in, in Luke's telling that you will hear this story three times in the whole book of Acts. This story will be repeated three times. Because out of it, a whole new beginning opens up. Paul, the greatest theologian, the leader, in a sense, of Christian thought about Jesus. This is how it begins for him. At the same time, you've got this other guy, Peter. Peter, who'd been with Jesus as one of the 12. Peter, who Jesus had said, on you I will build my church. And there's a long story in chapter 9, um, sorry, in chapter 10, all the way through 11, that tells a story. But in 11, Peter kind of repeats the story and condenses it. And I'm going to read from 11, just so you get the gist of what's going on. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of the uncircumcised and you ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision and I saw something like a large sheep being let down from heaven by its four corners and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles and birds, and I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Don't call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and it was pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who'd been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he'd seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He'll bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As he began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he'd come on us at the beginning. And then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard this, they had no further objections, and they praised God, saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Do you know, there's so much that could be said about these passages. And I've not got time, but let's just hear, as examples of what happens when everything changes and God's behind it? How do you know that it's God? And how do you respond? That's what I want to do. Look at Paul for a moment. So you know, you heard the story. Paul is on the way. Um, and um, as he's on the way, he has this vision. hears a voice. And everything changes for him. What happens? Well, for Paul, it's really interesting because... Other people around him don't get it. They hear something, but they can't work out what's going on. So only Paul gets it. And for Paul, he's an example of when you just know something. Something might actually be stirring in you, and it's really difficult to explain it. But other people don't get it, but you know God's doing something. And it won't go away. It's kind of like, I just know something's happening, and it won't go. And in Paul's situation, 
you hear God speak. In other words, this idea that as um, people who follow Jesus, if your ears are open, it is possible that God will speak directly to you. That he will direct your paths. And the brilliant thing is, he doesn't do it the same with all of us. He'll do it because he knows you. And for some of you, that'll be a picture. For some of you, it'll be you're reading the Bible and suddenly something leaps out. For others of you, it will be a voice. And it sounds crazy. But actually, it comes back to this idea of what is this relationship with God your Father about? Well, it's not one where you're just telling him all your woes, but it's him actually sharing his heart with you. But then other people confirm it. Other people go, yeah, that's right. It's kind of like brilliant, isn't it, that Ananias, who's uh, also praying. It's kind of interesting. A lot of this is about people praying. But Ananias is praying, and God says, could you go to this street to find this man? Because uh, he's praying, and he's waiting for someone called Ananias. Now, when God, if you're praying, you hear someone say, I'm God saying, would you go here, Val, because someone's there waiting for Val to turn up? You'd have to be really stupid not to get what God's on about. And Ananias goes, to be honest, Lord, I've heard about that man. I've heard about that man. I don't want to do that. But God says, don't worry, I'm going to use him. And I think what was the tipping point for Ananias to do it was uh, when God says to Ananias, and I'm going to show him how much he's going to suffer. Okay, Lord, I'll go. <laughs> you need other people around you and I think that this is the way that you stop two things happening firstly you stop arrogant Christians who go I know it's me and God I don't need anybody else around me and secondly for those of us most of us who aren't like that it gives us a sense of I'm on the right path. I'm on the right path. For Paul, a new story began that was outside of him. And actually, I reckon that some of you would go, I know what that feels like. Because that sort of thing's happened to me. Not very often, because it won't happen very often. By definition. <laughs> With Peter, it's different. Peter is in a situation where a whole number of circumstances just come together. It's almost comical. It's almost comical. You've got Peter who goes, I'm waiting for my meal to be cooked. And so he goes on the roof, on the flat roof. And he's there. And it's kind of like interesting to know, what's he doing? Is he having a little bit of a nap? Is it a trance? Is it a vision? Is it a dream? It's one of those moments where you're hungry and you just doze off a little bit and suddenly you're seeing other stuff. And he gets this vision of all this sheep coming down with food on it because he's hungry. He can probably smell something being cooked downstairs and he's on the top of the flat roof and he can smell something and you start to dream about what you smell. Or is it just me? And the sheet comes down, all this stuff, and it's all the stuff that he's not allowed to eat. And he's having this conversation with God, and he's going, ah, eat this. And he's going, no, 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 I'm not. I can't. I'm not allowed. No, you are. No, 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 I'm not. And then the sheet's taken away. At that very moment, there's a knock on the door. And people turn up and go, um, we've come for you because there's a Roman centurion who has been praying, and uh, he sent for you. 
It's almost like that comical moment where circumstances just come together. There's an invitation. You feel swept along and you didn't make it happen. How does that all work out in real life? Well, it was real life for these guys, but how does it work out in your life? Well, it could be, you know, there's this really, it's, it's really difficult because the only thing we have are our own stories. Those are the only things we have. Um, and all of our stories are so personal that they're never replicated. <laughs> But it's kind of like being aware that actually what God does is he does do this sort of stuff. And suddenly the train tracks moved. It could be, you know, you see it with people who lose a job and it's like, oh, I didn't think that was going to happen. And then suddenly a new job opens up and you go, oh, well, actually that's much better than I imagined. It doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. One of the times it happened, and this is just a personal story. And it's not the way it always happens, but it's just the way it happened with me. I was working at the college uh, a dozen years ago. And in a sense, and some of you know this story, but um, I was working at the college, at the, th- at the Bible college, and things were going really well. I was probably as happy at that time as I'd been uh, for a, a whole number of reasons. Then maybe vice principal. I had a power. Um, no, that's not really, that, that wasn't it. It was just, just life was, was good. But over the summer of the year 2005, in 2005 over the summer, there was a moment where I just felt God stirring stuff and saying, there's going to be a change, but don't look. That's the two things that I kind of knew. There's going to be a change, don't look. But you know what it's like? You, you kind of just grow a little restless then. Now, by nature, I'm quite restless, but I knew this was a different restlessness. And, um, but I just knew I was, I was kind of like looking. So when the principal's wife was ill seriously ill I thought oh maybe it'll be that maybe they'll maybe you'll have to leave and and it wasn't that she got better which was great (laughs) don't get me wrong when an opening came and I thought well maybe they'll ask me then but they didn't and then one day um, in January I was down at Elmwood um, for a uh, a training event that was being led by folks that I work with now, LICC. And my job that day was simply to tell people where the toilets were. That's all I did that day was say, I, I did it really well. Just told people where the toilets were. And then um, they had a question and answer, and I sort of kind of chaired that. And when they went, I didn't know, but they were looking for someone to work with them. And uh, one of the folks who'd come said, I think it's him because we really need someone to tell people where toilets are. That's a <laughs> big part of the job. <laughs> we think it's him. So they rang me and they said, um, we'd, we'd, like, um, we'd like to chat to you about, would you be interested in working with us? And I just said, yeah, I would. Because I thought, well, I think this is it. It was London. I really like London. <laughs> I said to them, I can only do four days, and I can't leave Salford. But if you can put up with that, then I think I'm, 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 I'm saying yes, I don't really. And they said, well, we don't really want an interview then, which was really good. <laughs> and I said, well, that's okay. I don't, need, I don't need any more thoughts about it. And so I just said yes. And, um, and then we had a long conversation about what the job actually was. <laughs> <laughs> I spent a long time talking to them. Is this a proper job? Um, 
Or was it just a job working for Christians? Um, and, um, and that was my story. That's one of my stories. So what's the story? Well, I wasn't engineering something, but God had sort of alerted me first. And he just said, watch. And something did happen. And I was invited and circumstances came together. And it felt like, yeah, it's almost like God's going, yeah, go, 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 go now. But it wasn't simple because what they said to me was, um, they said, we're going to make a bid for some money from a trust. So would you pray for that? So I said, yeah, I pray for that. And in May, and I was going to leave in the summer, in May, they came back and said, well, we got money from the trust. It's £10,000 over three years, which was less than I was expecting, if I'm honest. <laughs> and they said, we can only give you a contract uh, for three years. And the folks I worked with at the college said, but what will you do at the end of three years? And I went, I don't know. And they said, you're crazy because you're leaving something really solid for something that isn't. And they were right. But it's just that sense of you felt like God was saying, go, go, go. And then 12 years later, you just most of the 12 years I've worked with that group has just been wisdom. It's not sign. And I think that's how God, now that's my story and it's, and it, you know, I hesitate to tell you because it's like, it's just my story, but what's yours? How do you make sense of these times? I think there's three things that these stories suggest. First thing is when things change, when things happen to you that you weren't looking for, when things happen through you you weren't looking for, I think the first thing is, it's because you've got more to learn. When Paul and Peter, what they had was more to learn than they yet had experienced. And these two changes that happened for them, when Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and when Peter realized actually that God wanted to include the Gentiles, they had to learn new things. When God brings change, it's actually not right now you're in a sweet spot. Actually, it's going to be a whole new bunch of things that you're going to have to learn, and you're going to feel, I don't know how to do this. And in the book of Acts, both of those things were true. The first thing is then, you need to know there's still things to learn. The learning never stops. God's bigger than you can imagine. Jesus' lordship is more significant than you thought. The work of the Spirit is wider. The second thing for these guys in that situation that they learned was that actually God's love was wider than they ever had imagined. In Acts chapter 9, it's that piece that God said to Ananias. Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I'll show him how much you must suffer for my name. And in Acts 10, what Peter says is, I, realized, I now realize how true it is that God doesn't show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what's right. Those two things were God's purpose. And what God does with each of us is he wraps us up into his purpose. And when change happens in UK and you say, yes, God, actually what God is doing is going, right, I've got my purpose. It's, this is why when change happens, it's not, are you comfortable? It's actually, are you wrapped into God's purpose? Because God's got his own purpose. And, you know, you look at God's ambitious plan in the book of Acts 
And in chapter 8, you've got um, Philip in Samaria. The Samaritans were the rivals. You've got the Ethiopian eunuch, who's an outsider. You've got Saul, who's a persecutor. You've got Cornelius, who's part of the occupation force. And you've got Antioch. That'll be next week. And you've got Greeks. And what they're doing is God's ambitious plan is moving along. And at each point, he's saying, I want to include you in my ambitious plan. Whether you're 20 or whether you're 70. That's what God's doing. Our life finds meaning in relation to God's plan. When Jesus was with his disciples, he said, seek first the kingdom, the rest will follow. And so the final question is this. Are you in? When God brings change, Peter and Paul could have refused. It wasn't automatic. Peter could have said, I don't hang around with people like this. Paul could have gone, no, I know I'm right. These people are wrong. At every stage, are you in? There's an invitation that happens throughout your life. Are you in? Most of our life is wisdom-based, but there are moments where God changes things. And it may well be that for some of you, you're in the middle of those change process. You're at the change moments where things are actually happening in you and around you that you didn't imagine, you didn't put it together, but actually God says, now's the moment. And the question always is, are you in? Or would you prefer to settle for that which you know? These two stories reflect God's ambitious plan. He wraps you in because he's got a purpose. And our response is, God, I'm up for that. I'm up for it even if it means it's less certain than the thing I've got right now. I'm up for it even if I can't imagine how this is going to end. I'm up for it even if I might fail. I'm up for this even if it feels beyond me. I'm up for this because I want to follow you. At the end of the day, when, when I meet Jesus... And we have a chat together about what life was about. I'd rather him say to me, Neil, I'm glad you said yes more often than you said no. Even if sometimes I wasn't asking it. <laughs> I'm glad you had an attitude that says, yeah, let's go for this. Rather than an attitude that said a defensive one or a fearful one. Are you in? We're going to take communion together. We're going to ask the band to come. Thanks for listening. It's really warm, isn't it? It's really warm. Don't worry, it'll be very cold soon. <laughs> the weather will change. It'll be soon back to rain and frost. We're going to take communion. And this is, you know, whenever we take communion, there's any number of ways of thinking about communion. I want us to be alert to the fact this morning that when we take communion, what we're doing is we're taking the bread and we're breaking it and saying to one another, this is the body of Jesus. This is the life of Jesus. And when we take from the little cup, this is the blood shed for you. And the life of Jesus, when you take it, it 
means so much, doesn't it? It is about forgiveness and reconciled with God. And for those of us who feel distant from God, that is the moment where you go, do you know what? Jesus did this. He's made this possible, and he simply invited me to be part of this. But the second thing is this. The moment you say, yes, I'd love to receive the body and blood of Jesus, it's the life of Jesus, and you don't know what that means. Your yes to that opens up a whole new world of possibility that you're not in control of, if we believe it. Because you're saying, it's not my plans, it's not my desires, it's not simply my comfort, it's actually I'm making myself available to you. Peter, in prayer, going, God, I'm open. And I think that what happens is that as we say yes, then God goes, okay, I can use that. I can use your yes. I can use your yes. So if you're going to serve communion, can you come and join us if you've been asked? And when you come and you receive the bread and the wine, can you know that in doing so, you're responding to the reconciling work of God through Jesus on the cross, but you're also saying yes to him, yes to a future you can't imagine, but yes to the one that you can trust. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for the decisive moment on the cross and the resurrection where your message to all of us was things have changed that forgiveness and reconciliation is possible. That you're no longer against or angry, but you're for and you're with. And Lord, we come and we receive those marks of forgiveness because we know that we want to be and we are reconciled. But Lord, this morning particularly, as we take the bread and we take the cup, Lord, we remind ourselves that we need to say yes to you. And Lord, we do. And we say yes for the days where we need wisdom. And we say yes for the moments and the seasons when everything seems to be changing and we are not certain. But Lord, we want to say yes to your mission, yes to your purpose, yes to you wrapping us up into your purpose. We want to say yes. So Lord, as we eat and drink this morning, may you meet with us, we pray.